Hello, and welcome to the Cycling Central podcast. I'm Philip Gomes, and today it's really just going to be a two-hander. It's going to be me and Jamie Finch-Penninger, because Anthony Tan is, uh, I think he's in Morocco, and I know that Rob Arnold is in Dallas. Couldn't think about more, you know, polar opposites, really, when you think about it culturally, but uh, just the kind of people we are here at SBS. Well, yeah, they're similar in terms of climate, I guess, um, those two countries. They're both kind of deserty, aren't they, around, the, around that area? Warm. Sure, let's go with that. Uh, but <laughs> no, well, we wish them well on their holidays, obviously, but we're going to have to carry the ship ourselves. Or yeah. Captain the ship ourselves whilst yeah. they're away. So yeah. we'll go with that. What have you been up to? Um, not much. A few late nights recently with the Dauphiné and Tour de Suisse. Um, but apart from that, not a great deal. I had a few days off, so I've been, you know, resting. Essentially. Okay. Well, it's good. You've been, you're, you're up on the, on the Dauphin now, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about in a few moments. So let's get ready to rumble. Well, the Criterium de Dauphiné is, uh, is often portrayed as a, uh, as a race which frames what's going to happen in the Tour de France. Uh, Chris Froome has won it three times, and uh, he's also won the Tour de France three times. I think of late, uh, he's really been the, the big performer in terms of uh, using the Dauphine as an indication of, of Tour de France uh, fitness and potential per- performance. It hasn't necessarily been the case uh, historically for the Dauphine, but it has happened on occasion. But it's always, uh, it's always good to see who's, uh, who's going well at this time of the year. Um, this year's race was won by Jakob Fulsang, um, ahead of uh, Richie Port and uh, kind of a surprising Dan Martin, who we all we all kind of love. Um, Fulsang was fantastic on the final stage, and I, and I really should say that the final stage of racing, uh, I think, was the best uh, day of racing, stage of racing, race in itself that I've seen in years. It was genuinely exciting. Yeah, certainly. If you haven't watched it, go back and watch that stage. Um you can catch the stream on SBS Cycling Central. It was, yeah, it was a dramatic stage. It was everything we've come to expect from that sort of that sort of racing. And the Dauphiné is a very good race. It continually produces these sort of final last stages. I think we saw it a few years ago with um, when it was p- pitched as this duel between Chris Froome and Alberto Contador. And then at the end, Andrew Talansky and a bunch of other favourites went up the road and it ended up with Talansky taking out the GC. And so we saw again this time with Jakob Fulsang uh, winning by just 10 seconds. And it came right down to the line there as Port was pushing up that uh, final hill, the Plateau de Solisson. And, you know, you just didn't... You had your heart in your mouth. You're cheering for Richie, obviously, as Australians. But, yeah, a great race. And, yeah, Fulsang deserved a winner. I mean, I, a number of people were saying after the race that he surfed wheels to get in you know, to get to that final climb and then just went clear on the final uh, six kilometres, I think it was. But I don't know. (laughs) You've got to be bloody strong to do that, don't you? You've got to have to be smart. And the start of a good race, Fulksang was, you know, one of the strongest riders regardless, um, bearing in mind his performances on previous stages. And I think it's just whetting the appetite for the Tour de France, isn't it, Phil? Yeah, like for me, it it, it did that. Um, I think... That final stage is not necessarily how the tour will will play out, because I think with the Dauphine it was Dauphine was uh, interesting in that you had a number of high quality riders who were quite prepared to not feature at the top of the GC. Mm. So, for example, Froome was in second place overall, and effectively he he, he threw that aside, and for him it was going to be all or nothing. It was either going to win, or he wasn't going to finish on the podium, and he ended up finishing fourth. 
And I think we saw the same thing with Valverde, well, Alejandro Valverde and also with Alberto Contador. So they all had a bit of a dig. And I think uh, Fulsang did really well to be with them at the front when, when they tactically ditched Port. Um, so clearly he, he was strong. He had the legs anyway. He was still going with guys who were burning their matches. Oh, yeah. And he rode clear on the Montuchat as well. And, you know... I think he's proven himself to be up there in the past in terms of one of the top quality climbers. We've never seen it from him at a Grand Tour, so I'd, um, I'd wager a bit of caution um, or urge a bit of caution on you know people saying he's going to win the Tour de France now after winning the Dauphiné because you know Dauphiné has been a good form race recently for the Tour, um, but he's never produced that same effort over three weeks of racing. And to be honest, I think he's a better one-day racer. I think we've seen in like ra- ugh, races like Liège Bastogne, Liège. Um, Gio Lombardia that he's more suited to those sort of races and the one-week stage races. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe you'll come out and surprise us in the Grand Tour. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him and Aru as joint leaders going to the Tour de France. Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, speaking specifically about Astana, I think they're going to have a, a pretty interesting offering because you'll have one guy who is very stable uh, in full sang, a guy who can literally sit on wheels and, and play the game and really play the averages. And then you've got Aru, who is the kind of rider where lightning could strike. You know, he has a he has a fantastic day, and he can he could win the tour on a day. It's possible, but he can also just lose twenty minutes. Yeah, I think um, Aru's chances of winning the tour are about as often as lightning striking. Um, but <laughs> no, no, I mean that's a bit harsh on him. He's a very good bike rider, but he's been very inconsistent, as as you mentioned. As, yeah. as you would expect, somebody as young as what twenty three, twenty four. Well, he, he won. Uh, yeah, just, he won the know. he won the Vuelta when he was uh, what twenty three, I think. Yeah. So. You know, he's got the potential yeah. um, that he's, he just hasn't put it together in the last few years. Yeah, so. but it's it's a, it's a good it's a good prospect for Astana in a way, and that you've got somebody like like uh, like Fulsang, who is who is a crafty, talented rider, mm. albeit maybe not one that can win a Grand Tour because let's face it, at thirty two, he hasn't shown that he could against. And then you've got this other young guy who is just all fire and brimstone, you know, who could do anything. So it's it's good for them. I think they they go into the tour with some some interesting potential. Yeah, well, certainly. Um, There are a few other candidates on there. I mean, you mentioned the attacking style of racing, and Dan Martin said after that final stage that he wished that the Tour de France was raced like that because that's the sort of race he can win. He can take his chances. He can use his attacking instincts, which he's, you know, honed. Again, he's one of those guys who's more of a one-day racer and one-week racer. Um, But he's never quite translated the results into three weeks. I think he's got fifth on of Welter one year, and he's, you know, he's been up around the top 10, that sort of level in the past, but he really wants to take that next step and be a guy who can win it, and he needs a race to be attacking. And I think he was lamenting that fact after the Dauphiné because, you know, people, they didn't go into that final stage to protect their positions. They went in there to try and win it. Yeah. And, you know, that creates more exciting racing than we've seen in the past, and... I think more exciting racing than the tour, all you know, necessarily offers on every stage, um, because there is so much in a fifth place at the tour. That, I mean, that's still a very good result. Whereas fifth place at the Dauphiné, you know, take it or leave it. You, you can you can almost throw that away, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think at the tour, I think you'll find the, uh, the the riders who are going to feature on GC are going to ride more defensively to to hold their positions because those positions do matter more uh, to teams mm-hmm. in the tour than anywhere else. So. Um, before we talk about Richie Port, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Orca, Orca Scott. A, f- a couple of months ago, when it was announced that um, that uh, um, Esteban Chavez was going to be riding the Tour rather than the Giro, and then we looked at the Yates brothers as well, and we felt that 
really this was this was gonna this was gonna look good for them at the tour. I think uh, given the fact that Chavez was injured and the fact that uh, Yates uh, didn't look as good at the tour at the uh, at the Dauphin as I thought he he, he could have looked. Um, I think the boil has kind of come off uh, Orca Scott's uh, ambitions at the tour this year. I mean, do you do you do you think so, or am I uh, completely off my rocker? Uh, I think we have to remember that Yates was a late change in his um, season schedule to go to the Tour de France. No, we're talking about Simon Yates yes, here, Simon by the way. Yates. Yeah. Yes, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam Yates rode the Giro. Uh, and Esteban Chavez, obviously, this is his first race back since his major injury there. So I think it's too harsh. It's too too harsh to judge them purely on the Dauphiné. I think we saw pretty good signs from Chavez, actually. I thought he would... He rode a good race, and he'll be right up there for the Tour de France. Yates, I, I'm a bit with you there, but at the same time, I don't want to be too hasty. He's a very good rider, um, obviously top, right up the top there at the Vuelta last year, and you know, essentially the same uh, rider as his brother Adam, who took a, who was on the podium at the Tour de France last year until the very end. So I'd, I'd, I'm, I'm not going to write either of them off yet. I think they're both really top-class candidates who can run top five. And if you've got two guys in the top five, then you can really start leveraging those tactics and weight of numbers at the front there. Now, up until that final stage, um, we all kind of assumed that Richie Port was going to win, was going to win the Dauphin, mm. Dauphiné. Um, but he didn't. But at the same time, he did actually emerge as the winner, in a sense, because the last couple of hours of his ride in that stage was quite simply fantastic even though the team was caught out tactically early on and he became isolated it's what he did after that mm. that really made the race an entirely different kind of compelling event it was yeah it was brilliant wasn't it um yeah i'm still trying to still trying, trying to, to process it, it exactly i'm still yeah. trying to put it in proper context i wrote a blog after after that about about richie's performance and saying how he now goes in as the preeminent favorite and it displayed all those strengths, which we'd been worrying about with Richie in the past, that mental strength, that ability to deal with adversity when something goes wrong. He was in an awful situation there, caught behind, you know, 10 to 15 of the strongest bike riders in the world, riding by himself and having to make up um, and having to counter all their moves for, what, 60, 70 kilometres? Because BMC got dropped really early. Yeah. So it showcased all those amazing strengths that we, you know, hope that he has and he has now shown that he has and I think that's what propels him to being the the favourite coming into this Tour de France because we've known he's a great climber he's been a great climber for years arguably one of the best climbers in the world for years and and time trialists for as a GC general classification time trialist yeah yeah Yeah. Um, but that has never really come out of the Grand Tour I think we've seen now that Richie is ready to win a Grand Tour two things two things uh, struck me uh, in watching Port come to the finish of that of the race, say the last, last four or five kilometers. One was the speed at which he was traveling relative to the rest of the guys up front. He was significantly faster. And I mean, when he rode by Contador, even Contador gave him a bit of a wave because it was like, you know, it was a bit of windburn. It was a, a bit of a wash there, you know, as he, as he rode past. And then he pegs, you know, pegs back Valverde, pegs back Contador, and he pulls back Froome. Froome tries to stick with him for a bit and then couldn't go. And then even in the last kilometer, he was going significantly faster than full sign. So it was almost like he, he was pacing himself and riding the tempo for the majority of that stage. And then he's, as he started going closer and closer to the finish, you could see his pace just build relative to the rest of the peloton. Um, I, I just thought that was just amazing to watch just him just be a bit of a, 
a motorboat, really. Well, you, well, yeah, when you consider where the time gaps were, with about 25, 30 k's to go, he was by him. Well, he was he wasn't by himself, but he was doing all the work in the group of three. I think with Tij Benut was in there, um, and he was doing all that work. And the gap was about a minute and a half to Valverde and uh, who who was it? Bardet who went, yeah, went Bardet as well. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, and then a minute to, and then he was also a minute behind that group of ten as well. And at that stage, I think I tweeted these time gaps are looking really bad <laughs> because because you know you buy yourself. Um, Froome had some help there. He, he had Kwiatkowski, with you know a former world champion, riding the front, and you know a bunch of other top class climbers ready to help him as well when that happened. And then Froome went goes to the front, almost kills himself, uh, pacing pacing up that final climb. And it's just amazing that Richie was able to stay as close as he was. You know, I'd say any other bike rider in the world would have um, faded and lost you know minutes on that on that climb there because. As we saw, Froome blew up. Um, all, all the other riders, except for Fulgsang, essentially uh, blew up and couldn't hold the couldn't hold the wheel. And it was Froome, it was Port who was probably the fastest up that final climb. Yeah, he did, despite he did. doing despite doing a mountain of work beforehand as yeah. well. Yeah, he, he he totally didn't blow. Um, a bit of a and just to, just to talk briefly about Chris Froome, I think we 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 saw a very interesting Chris Froome. I think in this uh, in this uh, Dauphiné. Um, one prepared to attack. That's for that's for starters. Um, one perhaps not so obsessed with looking at his stem, you know, with his at his power meter. Uh, his descending was incredible um, on the uh, on the previous stage, uh, just absolutely phenomenal. And and then on the final stage, prepared to really give it a give it a crack. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, before we were looking at you know for the last few years, Froome's a bit of a bit of a machine, you know, tied to his power meter. And then all of a sudden, Chris Froome is a bike racer prepared to. Blow. Well, I think Chris Froome is the ultimate winner. That's that's how we should look at him because he he does what it takes to win. And in the past, that was having the sky train line out on the mountains. He couldn't do that last year with um, a number of extra descents added in and sort of different finishes. So he had to go a bit more attacking, a bit more aggressive to ensure that he got the win. And I think we saw him do a similar thing here where he's identified maybe that he thinks Port's not the best descender. So he decided, okay, I'm going to take it to him on the on the descent there. He went past Port with like a millimetres clearance as he passed on the inside of one of those corners. And then he did the same thing when he um, on that final stage where he uh, attacked on just before the descent and went over to the chase group. Um, well, not the chase group, the, the, the other group of favourites there. And he was doing the same thing. He was passing people by millimetres on descent. So I think he's he's playing it a lot more risky than he used to but because I think he he knows that he doesn't quite have the same form that he once did in the past. I mean, look at his results this year. There's nothing, nothing like what they've been in the past. He hasn't got a win this year. And it's it's going to be a very different Chris Froome, I think, we see it this year's Tour de France. Well, we're about, a, say, uh, about a month or so away from um, from the final week, the final decisive week of the Tour. Uh, looking at the Dauphiné, uh, who do you think has work to do? And who do you think uh, will feature prominently in that final week? I mean, just I know it's a long shot, but still, a lot can happen between now and then. Yeah, um, Contador um, admitted that he had a lot of work to do coming into the Dauphiné. He didn't think he was going to win. He didn't think he was going to go great. But he thought he'd give it a nudge, see where his form's at, because he's taking a... Uh, Soto Voche approach, a quietly stepping approach uh, to to the uh, Tour de France this year as a bit different, different, different preparation for him as he gets a bit older. 
and I think he'll be he'll be close to the top. I think Valverde um, showed a bit of weakness for once. It's nice to know Valverde's human. Um, he, I mean, he wouldn't have been attacking as early as he did on all of those stages unless he felt weak. Because normally he's can sit, he he's ready to take up the attack when he needs to, but he's content to um, sit sit back and wait for the others to make the the early suicidal moves because we've seen that time after time and that's how he's won, won so many Liege Bachelon Lieges in the past. So Valverde did disappoint me a bit. I don't know, there's so many young riders who did a good job there. A guy like Emmanuel Bookman who is who really sprang to prominence um, just before the Tour de France a few years ago when he won the national titles in Germany. But I don't know, there's so many names there. That L- Louis Menchez. Louis Menchez, of course, right. looked tiny and really <laughs> slim at this, this this year's Dauphiné. Yeah. He was going with the best climbers at the end there. Yeah. It's, so, yeah, it's just so many different names who could put, de- definitely put their hand up and I think it'll come down to the composition of their teams in a lot of cases and who gets a bit of good luck during the Tour de France. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's um, that's enough, uh, I think, uh, a bit of a breakdown for what happened to Dauphiné. I mean, it's uh, it, it certainly is a good lead into the Tour and, and it got me fired up and I'm kind of, kind of interested in what's going to happen. I'm looking forward to the Tour. <laughs> good to hear you're kind of interested, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it takes me a while to warm up. Mm. So okay, well we'll um, we'll we'll bring on the next uh, the next conversation topic conversation for us here at SBS, which of course is uh, big changes in our commentary team. Talk to you in a second. Well, you may have heard by now that uh, SBS has made a few changes to uh, to what's happening with our commentary for the 2017 Tour de France. It's a Pretty big deal. Big deal for us. Um, big deal for a lot of a lot of other countries around the world, in a sense as well. Um, we will obviously be running. We, uh, if you've already heard about it, we are no. We won't have Phil or Paul, Phil Liggett, Paul Sherwin doing the daily commentary. Uh, we will be transitioning to a what will be an all Australian combination of Matt Keenan and Robbie McEwen. And we will use uh, Phil and Paul uh, within the broadcast uh, in a different way uh, compared to uh, compared to previous previous years. Most of it has been brought on by uh, some changes within ASO itself and uh, things that they wanted to achieve in terms of their global global broadcast feed. So uh, around fifty countries in the world will will be hearing Matt and Robbie Australian voices uh, bringing uh, bringing the Tour de France to English speaking audiences worldwide. Um, a lot of controversy. We've been we've been monitoring uh, everyone's passionate commentary about uh, about the change to the good, to the bad. Um, but time marches on, doesn't it, Jamie? Yeah, it's it is definitely a dis- divisive move. This one, isn't it, Phil? Because <laughs> there is a there's rightly a, a group of a group of cycling fans who've you know grown up with Phil and Paul. I grew up with Phil and Paul. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and. They were who really, along with Mike Tomolaris, who really brought us into the sport of cycling and watching the Tour de France on TV. And that's a, it's a tough thing to go away from, isn't it? Um, but we have two great commentators in Matt and Robbie who offer technical analysis, tactical analysis. I don't think we've seen before in cycling commentary. It's just superb stuff that they come up with, interesting stuff. And I think it's you know going to be great going to be a great tour with those guys calling you know stages from start to finish 
they wouldn't want to be in their shoes. They're going to get pretty tired by the end of the tour. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you know, it's it's. Um, I think one thing that, that people may not understand is that in many ways that uh, it affects us uh, here at SBS in terms of what we had planned for commentary and what we had planned for our broadcast. Because in a sense, what's happened is that we've we've actually lost um, Robbie and and Matt. Uh, to use as we please because their commitments now lie with ASO rather than with the Australian broadcast audience or with the Australian audience, um, which is what happened before. So we've had to, in response, we've had to, you know, we've had to kind of work around what we're going to do with our broadcasts and just kind of flip, flip the, flip the script a little bit where Phil and Paul will, uh, will come in, I guess, to offer some degree of um, historical nuance to every stage. We're still kind of working that out. To tell you the truth, because um, it uh, it it's been a it's a big change to what we do daily. Um, we'll also have Dave McKenzie, which if any of you had heard him uh, during the Criterion de Dauphine with Matt, and then uh, and then later on with uh, with Willow with um, Trent Wilson, Trent Wilson from uh, Wilson Racing from the local scene. Trent has written a couple of Giro Italias. Um, you'll know that Maka is really on his game as well. So we've got. We've got a pretty pretty solid team overall, and um, that'll be complicated. You know, the backbone really will be Matt and Robbie doing the world commentary. So, you know, it's it's good. Yeah, good to see some NRS rep- representation <laughs> with Trent Wilson getting in there from GPM Stultz. Uh, it's, it's a it's a cold day in in summer when. Uh, NRS gets too much coverage, so <laughs> it's good to see somebody he out did. there doing doing. Yeah, he did a good job. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. On that, on that took, final it took stage, a while so. to get kind of warmed up, but I liked I liked the fact that you know he was he was looking at the race almost like he was a DS. He mm. was cold hearted. He's going, Richie's done. Mm. Right? And and he was saying things like, "Oh, I wouldn't send X to the front." At the <laughs> That's moment. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he did a great job for us a few years ago on the Giro as well, mm. um, which was great. So it's been a long time between between drinks for Trent. Uh, it'd be great to have him back from time to time to tell you the truth. Um, so that's what's happening with us as far as the as far as the broadcast team is concerned. Keep sending us your uh, your your opinions on it. Uh, some are entertaining, some not so. Um, yeah, you know, keep, let's keep the abuse to a minimum if possible. <laughs> But uh, you know, look, we're 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 taking it all on board, and um, we're trying. We are trying to work out exactly uh, how the uh, the entire broadcast will go for the tour over those stages. Uh, one thing that should also be noted is that um, we are going to be bringing you every stage of the tour live from start to finish. It'll be across a combination of what's happening on digital, like via the uh, Skoda Tour Tracker. Every stage will be live in the Skoda Tour Tracker from start to finish, and I think. Uh, approximately eight stages will be live uh, from start to finish on TV and then there's other scheduling issues which means that it won't be the same for the rest but you will see the entire race across multi-platforms if that's how you want to watch the tour. It's going to be interesting because we're going to get to see the breaks form daily uh, which uh, I've got some plans on taking advantage of because that's something we haven't really done before. Mm. Um, as As a cycling tragic that's something you're interested in. I would I would love it if all cycling coverage was just the first uh, half an hour of each stage and then the last, I don't know, whenever the racing gets interesting from then on because there is there is a bit of that in-between bits, that interim where, okay, the brake's riding out and the peloton's just, you know, chasing them and they'll catch them um, with 10Ks to go. But when that brake's going, that's when they make that decision, are we going to catch the brake today? Who's going to go in the move? And there's a lot more of that tactical battle there. So I'm very excited to be watching. And that. quite often yeah. we also miss some of the the early intermediate sprints as well, which mm. add up 
for the green jersey battle well yeah hopefully the green jersey battle is going to be competitive this year i mean peter sagan's run away with it the last few years but yeah i mean if those guys like michael matthews um john dangle cobb john dangle cobb um who else do we see at this year's tour like damar somebody like that even could get in the mix so yeah it'll be interesting to yeah see how that goes yeah so you know their 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 strengths uh their strengths in in having the entire entire broadcast available and if you're you're really geeky i mean please you know but from what jamie just said here where he likes to see the he'd like to see the first half and then the last half it's clear that he's not a uh, he's not a chateau and field art kind of fan well i don't know if we could get maybe this is something we can talk about with um phil and paul's contribution we can just get uh, paul to read out the chateaus <laughs> as they go as they go along and we cut to paul just um doing his magnificent uh reading of the of the history <laughs> and the french and all that and it yeah, that would that would just make my day. I think actually, so. yeah, that that would be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It would give Matt and Robbie a chance to go to Lou as well. Mm, yeah, well, they, they are quite lengthy. Some of those shadows because they've got <laughs> well, they've got a lovely history and uh, interesting, you know, uh, interesting aspects of them that come along with uh, which sometimes tie into cycling, but more into the history of the region. So it's yeah. interesting stuff. Also, Gabriel Gatte is back, isn't he? And we've got Gabriel. Mm. Uh, be done a little bit differently this year, mm-hmm. right? We're trying to freshen up the broadcast. I know, you know, we've everybody loves the kind of things that we do generally, but you can't rest on your laurels. You've got to you've got to shake things up a little bit, you know. So, Gabrielle will still be there bringing you foods from the region, etc., etc. There will be butter on occasion. He's gone more healthy though, hasn't he? Yeah, I know. But that's the way the world works now. There's no fun in it anymore. <laughs> You know, no butter on your bacon. You know, no massive knob of butter <laughs> and you know, I don't know lard and whatever. whatever yeah, used to go yeah, there. yeah. Um, for the tour, also, we've got some other we've got some other um, interesting plans. Uh, hopefully, they all come off and uh, we can deliver them um, during the uh, during the event. But uh, we'll look for that and we'll announce them when uh, when we get there. With the um, with the start times, by the way, just so you know, right? Because we are going to be starting from start to finish. Some of the stages are starting as early as seven p.m. Uh, every night, uh, which is going to be interesting. Um, the first stage is going to be an absolute killer, so it's going to put us all in the hurt box right from the start because um, the stage in Dusseldorf starts at 10 after 11 in the evening and finishes at 3 in the morning, right? So, Which is a problem because Rowan Dennis is going to win that stage, so we've got to be up as Australians <laughs> to watch it, don't we? So, see him take the first yellow jersey again. So the strategy going in will be to sleep until 11 o'clock, Mm. Then wake up, put the billy on. <laughs> Maybe we should publish a sleep calendar or something, Phil, just so you can kind of manage your manage your um, your rest and your you know and your work life and somehow <laughs> come out at the end of this with watching as much cycling as possible, but also maintaining your your social life and your professional life. Yeah, some sort of like a diagram that says you know fit your wife time here, fit kid time here. <laughs> Right, and just go from there and forget about work, actually. Just take the month off. It'll be better. Much, much easier if you do that. Well, you could come here and work at SBS or on cycling as well. That's the other option. <laughs> that is. That's right. Okay, on, um, on that note, I think uh, it's because it's just the two of us, we'll, we'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, sorry, go ahead. T- I just can- want to make a quick note about the uh, NRS race schedule, um, which has been updated um, over the past few weeks by Cycling Australia. Basically, there's a few races. Uh, well, there's one race being dropped um, entirely, Margaret River is no longer an NRS event. And there's a lot of ways to see this as a negative, and I can see them. Obviously, race days being lost is never never a good thing, in, especially when there's so few to begin with, especially on the women's side of the of the cycling scene. 
but uh, I think it's a bit more of a rationalisation from Cycling Australia that the the calendar they published at the start of the year was more of a aspirational calendar <laughs> in a lot of ways, and yeah. I think the reintroduction of well, the introduction of Kip Kaufman as the sports director for Cycling Australia is a very positive move. And I think we'll see, we've already seen, um, I've, I've spoken to race promoters who said that they've had more communication with Cycling Australia over the past few weeks with Kip Kaufman than they have over their entire uh, previous relationship with Cycling Australia based on years. Fantastic. And yeah. I think it's going to be a very positive move for cycling in Australia. So watch this space is basically what I'm saying. Okay. Hmm. There you have it. Um, We'll be back with, I think, another podcast just before the tour. And we've got some big plans for the podcast during the Tour de France. Um, so watch this space uh, for when that happens. Uh, it could be exciting. We'll know tomorrow, actually. But I won't tell you <laughs> until later. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. So we're going to go. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.